this is part two of uh, the subject, Kingdom Praying. So many wonderful, precious people of God don't know how to pray. We don't know how to pray. Uh, James says, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Biblical prayer works. And if I'm praying according to the teachings of Jesus, things are happening. God is able to respond. But the whole concept of prayer is what our what we struggle with. Is uh, Are we praying to convince God to give us stuff he doesn't want to give us? Are we are we praying God to God to convince him to save the lost like it's our idea, not his? Are we uh, focused on getting from God what we need? I ch- change this, fix this, I don't like that. I want this, I don't want that. Uh, do all these things for me, Lord, and I'll come back and check with you and see how you're doing. It, this is not what biblical prayer is about. It's not the privilege that we've been given to pray. Uh, prayer is the most supernatural thing that you possibly can do i can communicate with and the the and he can communicate through me uh communicate with the i am god who is before all things and by whom all things consists and when i become his conduit to let him pray he can pray through me the things that uh uh he wants spoken into the atmosphere of the earth into the spirit world of the earth. And that's what our great, great privilege is, is to be able to do that. But before we get into that, and I don't think I'm going to get into the specifics of that exactly, in this lesson, there's a few things that I need to cover between uh, part one and the next part, uh, part three, on the subject of kingdom praying. You just can't safely Get up in the morning and launch into kingdom praying. If you do, what you really indicate is you don't have a clue what you're really doing. Because it's not that simple from a, uh, a safety standpoint. I fear God. I do not fear the devil. He said, fear him that can destroy both body and soul. Uh, Fear not him that can destroy the body. Fear him that can destroy both body and soul in hell. I say unto you, fear him. I fear God. I love God. I reverence God. I respect God. I do not fear the devil. And yet, every soldier going to battle knows that there is potential for wounding and harm and even death. And uh, we are called of God to participate in the conflict between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. We're called to do that. That is a biblical principle here. In fact, uh, Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, the strategiums and Tactics of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. This isn't talking about the people serving in government. It's not talking about them at all. It's literally in the Greek, wicked spirits in the atmosphere of the earth. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word or the rhema of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that thereunto I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So Paul is in jail. He's in jail. 
the Apostle Paul is in jail writing this and did not consider that he was defeated. He might have been physically in jail, but he was not a spiritual prisoner. And a lot of people are physically free, but spiritually captives. But Paul is teaching us about the preparation to participate in this conflict. You know, uh, I didn't really anticipate covering this, but I'm going to for a moment, if you don't mind. Uh, Paul understands. Paul understood about this supernatural conflict because uh, it's he he's in speaking to the king in his defense in Acts chapter twenty six. He gives the most detailed description of what happened to him on the road to Damascus as is found anywhere in the scripture. And he said, uh, verse 13 of Acts 26, At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me, saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, and I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. But rise, stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, for this cause, for this reason, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. To do what? What did the Lord Jesus audibly say to Paul that he was calling Paul to go do? Verse 18. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God. And the Greek word there for power is not dunamis, but exousia, which is authority. Authority and kingdom are synonymous. Through authority you exercise dominion, which is king's dominion or kingdom. That, for this cause, you open their eyes, you're going to turn them. The word there, turn, is synonymous with convert or they change, repentance, from darkness to light and from the authority of Satan unto God, under God's authority. That, for this purpose, for this cause, they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. To receive an inheritance, you have to be a child. Which means you have to be born. So, to be a child of God, you've got to be born again. To receive the inheritance, I've got to be born again. Notice, the people Paul was sent to could not receive forgiveness of sins, and they couldn't be born again so that they were, they had a right to an inheritance until first Paul was used of God to see their eyes spiritually opened. Said Corinthians chapter 4 verse 3, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded their minds. That they believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So I'm sending you, Paul, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the, the authority of Satan unto God so that once they're free from these influences supernaturally, they can now obey the scripture by faith and the gospel by faith, and have their sins forgiven, and be born again of water and spirit. And how many people, how many churches, how many preachers, are trying to get help people get to the place of being forgiven, and born again, that they've never been prayed free. You don't preach them free. You pray them free. And Paul said, he said in, again in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, 
you know, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor guard that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devils. For we wrestle not. We're not in a contest with God. We're not in a contest with people. We're not in a contest with other churches. We're not in a contest with governments. No matter how much any part of this natural world can be used of the adversary to negatively affect the gospel and the people preaching the gospel and those that are believing the gospel, they're not our enemies. They're not our adversaries. If the apostle Peter at the near the beginning of chapter 16 of Matthew, Jesus can say of them, of him, Blessed out art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And then less than 10, 15, 20 verses later, he says, Get thee behind me, Satan, speaking to Peter. You don't understand the things that be of God. If the apostle Peter, who was just given the keys of the kingdom, can unknowingly allow the adversary to use him to try to stand against Jesus going to the cross. Because Jesus let him know he was going to die. Peter says, far be it from thee. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You don't understand the things to be of God. If the apostle Peter can unknowingly be used of the devil to, to stand against that which he was trying to stand for, you don't think governments can be can do that? You don't think well-meaning people, you don't think people of some kind of faith can be used of the devil unknowingly? Parents and children, husband and wife, you don't think they can be used unknowingly to try to be, to hinder someone that is coming to God or is trying to grow in God or obey God or participate with God? You don't think that's possible? Well, if you don't believe that, then you don't believe the Bible because it's clearly taught in here. Because he's subtle. He doesn't know. They, they don't know. They're not giving themselves to the devil consciously. There's very, 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 very few people in this world that have consciously given themselves over the devil by choice. But there's a lot of folks that are influenced by him that don't know they're being influenced by him. And Paul said, that the voice from heaven who identified himself as Jesus commissioned Paul to open their eyes, turn them from darkness to light, from the power or the authority of Satan unto God, that they might be forgiven of their sins, they might be receiving inheritance because they've been born again as children of God. This is what the church is called to do. We're not here to win popularity contests in the earth. We're not here to fit into the community so everybody thinks we're just the greatest bunch of people there is. We're called here to stand for light against darkness, to stand for truth against lies, and to be conduits through which the Lord can deliver people from the power of Satan and his blindness that he's put upon them and he's called us to participate with him, to be conduits and instruments of his to see the lost saved. That's what we're that's what we're doing here. That's why we're here. And so when the Lord when the Lord calls us, how do we why do we participate with him? Well, going to church is important, but that's not the most important thing we do is participation with God. Working for God. Uh, singing and worshiping. All of that's wonderful, true, but it's not the most important thing. The Lord is looking for those who will join with Him and participate with Him in kingdom praying. He says... Matthew chapter 6 verse 9. After this manner therefore pray ye our Father which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive our debtors. Give us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And then he said further down in that same chapter. 
he said in chapter 6, verse 32, For all these things do the Gentiles seek, for after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Just additions. They're not the object of our search and our pursuit. The object of our search and pursuit are not things. The Lord and His kingdom and His righteousness is the focus of our pursuit. Now, He said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. How do I do that? That's great. It's a command to do it. The word seek is in the imperative tense of command. But how do I do that? I believe that's exactly what he said beginning in verse 6 of the same chapter, or verse 9 of the same chapter. But after this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I'm going to go into this much deeper in one of the next parts of this subject. But just just to prepare for what I feel to teach in this lesson, uh, when he said, after this manner therefore pray ye, notice the first three things we pray have nothing to do with us. It's not for us. He wants us to pray for his name to be sanctified. He wants us to pray for his kingdom kingdom to come in manifestation of the earth. And he wants us to pray that his will, which is already purposed and settled in heaven, would come into existence or prevail in the earth. Now, if God, according to his plan, can do all of this himself without man, why would he tell us to pray this? Well, God can do anything. Yes, he can. And there's something God can do that you and I can't. If we limit God, that's sin. But when God limits himself by his own plan, it's not sin. It's his plan. It's his word. And God is the only one who could and did limit himself to not do anything in the earth except through men. Otherwise, why would he tell us to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven? Why? I'm supposed to pray for his name to be sanctified? Why did he cause his name to be sanctified? I'm supposed to pray for his kingdom to come? Why shouldn't he make his own kingdom come? I'll tell you why. Because he cannot and will not do this except through human agency. That's his plan. That's his plan. And so that being the case, the important thing, important thing here to understand is if, if you and I individually and collectively as a part of his body are going to enter into the front lines of this conflict, and we're going to participate in this daily kingdom praying, there are some things that need to be prayed first. Okay? Now, I'm not going to tell you how to pray these things. I am going to share with you things that God has put on my heart for me to pray. I'll share with you the reasons why I pray them. And I have, I don't have a bunch of scriptures written out for this because every detail of this could be gone into to such depth that it would take 30 parts to teach this lessons. And I am not using hyperbole, uh, to teach every, every element of the, uh, of kingdom praying in great detail. It would take at least 30 different lessons to do so. Uh, maybe more than that, quite frankly, uh, depending on how narrowly you define the subject or how broadly you needed to define the subject to truly communicate it. Uh, 
So let's talk about preparation for kingdom praying. And and I'm going to focus primarily on that in the remainder remaining part of this uh this lesson today. The the primary purpose of or how to prepare to participate in kingdom praying. Uh there are days that this preparation uh as the Lord leads me is only 20 30 minutes. There are days that I give significant time to this preparation because of the detail he leads me to pray. Uh, but I'll just share some of this with you. Obviously, the Bible says we enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. So the first thing that happens when I roll out of bed this mo- in the morning is uh, within moments of my first few steps touching the carpet, if that's if I'm in my bedroom, uh, I am, I am thanking the Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. It's, it's involuntary, consciously. It's just comes out of the mouth. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. And somewhere in that, uh, I find myself praying in tongues pretty, pretty quickly. And I, I will just pray in, in the Spirit and, and give thanks and praise because the Bible says, according to First Corinthians fourteen. When I'm speaking in tongues, I'm, I'm barely giving thanks well. And that's one of the flows of the Spirit in tongues is thanksgiving. And uh, so I, 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 sometimes I'm still half asleep, but, but my spirit's praising and it's praising in English and it's praising in tongues. And I don't mean some big loud, uh, demonstrative thing. It's, it's uh, what I'm really looking for immediately is uh, I want to enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. I want to want to enter into his presence. I want to quickly, as quickly as possible, establish a connection, a spiritual connection between my consciousness, now that I'm awake, and my father, my, this, and the spirit of my father. I, I want to establish that connection. And the, 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 the first way I do that is through thanksgiving and praise in both English and in other tongues. If there is not a fairly quick response in the spirit, a manifestation of the Lord's presence that I can feel, I I know at that point, for whatever reason, I have a, a connection problem that needs to be looked at. And so, I, I will then begin to focus on uh, listening in my spirit as I continue to pray. Okay, what is it that I am, what is it that's, that's kept me from being connected here right now? And I will pray about whatever, it may, if it's sin or if it's something else or something I'm worried about or whatever. I don't know. It, it, it could vary and it does vary. All I'm doing is I am, my spirit is feeling after him, reaching out after him. And it's and it's my spirit. It's not my mind. I might still be half half asleep in my mind, but I'm up, and my spirit is reaching out after the Lord to make this connection. And then once that connection is there, there are there are things I begin to pray uh, and to thank Him for specifically uh, most every day. Uh, I should have been doing this a long time, but at age 70, uh, most every day I'm thanking him for life and for health and for strength. Uh, most every day I thank him for goodness and mercy because uh, Psalms 23 says, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And uh, so I thank him for goodness and mercy. And I thank him for uh, all of his abundant blessings, those uh, additions that he's given that I haven't asked him for. But I have, I have sought him and, and I have been open to him. And so I put his kingdom first and he's blessed me with so much. And, and I, I thank him for that. And, and some days I, I thank him for my wealth. I'm such a wealthy person. I am so rich. Uh, I have the love of God in my life. What, what riches that is. And I have faith in him and I trust him and, 
I have a relationship with the Father. What what absolute amazing riches that is. And the grace of God works in my life. And the and the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and the revelations He's given, and the privilege and opportunity to be a part of His kingdom, be a part of Him. It work all of these things are my riches, and I I give thanks for all of those things. And then 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 I begin to transition into what I call positioning prayer. I say I call it. I I never even thought of it. It just came to me one day. That's what I was doing. I was positioning myself in God. I wasn't doing the positioning myself. But the Spirit of the Lord, the Word of God, was, as I yielded to them, was positioning me to participate in kingdom praying. It was pre- preparation for kingdom praying. And there are certain things that I uh, I pray. And I, I pray them to some degree every day. I don't repeat them. They're not repetitive things. But there are things that are very critical and very fundamental that I want to, at the beginning of my day, I want to reestablish those things in my in my mind, in my heart, my soul, my spirit, uh, in my life. I, I want to establish this every day. I want to establish it. And again, some days uh, that may take, the, the, this next part may take 10, 15, 20 minutes. I've got other days that I've spent uh, a long time on. And how long is between Jesus and I? Just trying to work through these things as I pray to position myself or to be positioned by the Lord in prayer. The first thing that I pray is uh, John, First uh, John four nineteen says, "We love Him because He first loves us, loved us." And so I I, I confess these things. I speak these things, uh, Father. I receive Your love for me today. And, of course, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God. Hero is the Lord of God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And thou shalt love thy neighbors thyself. And so, essentially, because that's the greatest two commandments, I am, I am confessing those. First John 4.16 says, We have known and believed the love that the Father has for, for us. And so, so Father, I... I receive your love for me today that I don't earn and I haven't, I don't deserve it. I, I, I receive it unconditionally as your gift because I am your child and you love me not because of what I do, but because of who I am. I am your child. I'm yours, Father, and I receive your love for that. And by this love that I receive, I, 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 I love you, uh, by this love with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength because the word love in that great commandment is agape, and agape, God is agape. Uh, and since God is agape, to love God with agape, I've got to first receive agape from God in order for that to be the power with which I give back to Him agape. And so I pray that. Father, I receive your agape today without uh, taking any credit or glory because of any worthiness of mine. I'm your child. And I receive your agape today. I receive your love. And and by this love, Jesus said, if you love me, if you agape me, keep my commandments. And so I'll pray that. Father, uh, I confess today the only way I can possibly obey you today is by your love working in me to empower me to love you. And Father, it is only because of your love that I find any worth or value in myself. And I am... I am of value because you love me. And it is your love that enables me to put a positive evaluation on myself and realize that I am of great value to you. And that makes me of great value. And Lord, because I'm of great value and you have loved me unconditionally, then I, I, I submit myself to you and yield to you for you to be a conduit to love my neighbor through me. I cannot love these people, Lord, in any way. Saved or unsaved, I can't love these people in a way that will impact their lives. So I submit myself to be a conduit that you would love me. Love them through me, in Jesus' name. And I, I, that, that's just briefly that, and I'll go off on, as the Spirit leads, on all kind of elements of that, most of which uh, is, some, to some degree, I'm pl- pr- praying Scripture, actually. I'm confessing the Word of God here. And then uh, from there, 
I go into, um, as the Lord leads, I go into uh, the, the elements of really, truly positioning myself in Him. Uh, every epistle Paul wrote, except Hebrews, starts within the first seven verses of the first chapter with words similar to this, grace and Grace and peace from the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ be upon you. In the three epistles written to humans, uh, his his sons in the gospel, uh, two to Timothy and one to, to Titus, he added a word. He didn't add this word toward the church. The church is saved. The church can't be lost. Who is in the church, that's not predestinated, predetermined. That's, that's up to the free will and faith of the individual. But the church itself can't be lost. So the church itself does not need mercy. So the church receives grace and peace, and the church needs grace and peace. But for these individuals, they needed grace, mercy, and peace. And so that's what I pray. Uh, whatever way the Spirit leads to whatever length, however long it takes on each one of these. But I will confess to the Lord, without you, I can do nothing. I can do nothing. And so therefore, Father, I receive your grace. To empower me to be able to do those things that are pleasing to you. Your word says that you would work in me both to will and to do of your good pleasure. In recent studies, uh, this has even become more fine-tuned. Because the Greek word translated will there is not desire alone. It's the result of desire. So it is God that works in me to make the decision as a result of desire he puts in me. It is a decision. So it, if I'm able to make a decision as a result of desire, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. If I'm able to make a decision that I'm going to please God, it's because He empowered me to first of all have the desire to please Him and then to have the supernatural ability to make the decision to please Him. And then the second part of that verse is, it's not just to be supernaturally empowered but to be activated for that which pleases God to be activated and energized in me, that it would be worked through me. That's grace. That's the grace of God. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, we are to come boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace, King James says, grace to help in time of need. Uh, in this prayer, I pray for grace first and then mercy. And uh, I do that because that's the primary order in which Paul used it. And the other apostles also said similar things in their epistles. Uh, and so I'm praying for this grace. I, I know that I can do nothing. Jesus said, John 15, 5, without me, ye can do nothing. I can do nothing. I have no ability to please God through my humanity. Nothing. And so, by receiving His grace, which is the supernatural empowerment to enable me to do what I cannot do myself in pleasing God, by receiving His grace, His grace will give me the desire which will become the decision to please Him which will then allow His Spirit to work and activate through me those things that are pleasing Him. And in some days I'll play it this, pray it this way. Father, I receive Your grace to activate in me the desire to not do those things that are displeasing to You and to empower me to not do those things that are displeasing to You. And uh, uh, I'll, I'll pray other things along that line because I am I am confessing that I am not the one doing this. I'm only yielded. And I'm only yielded to do it because God's working it in me. I, I can't even take the credit for wanting to do it and for yielding to do it because God himself is doing that. But I'm confessing that because Paul said, what do you have you haven't received? And if you've received it, what are you bragging about it for? I haven't earned this. I haven't deserved this. I haven't won this. This isn't my pay. This isn't my reward. This is the, this is the gift of grace operating in me, both the will and the do of his good pleasure. And everything that happens through my life happens because everything that God accepts and is pleased with 
happens because I've become a conduit of his word and spirit through me in whatever ministry there is, in prayer, in the pulpit, one-on-one, whatever it would be, writing, whatever it would be, every good thing that God accepts is a result of his grace and I can take no credit or glory for it. So grace takes the idea of performance completely out of it. I'm not performing in the ministry. I'm not putting on a show and preaching. I'm not trying to impress anybody by my eloquence. Uh, none of those things. I'm not singing so everybody will think I'm a great singer. Or I'm not, I'm not shouting so everybody will think I'm spiritual. None of, none of it's a performance because everything I'm able to do and I do that pleases God, not pleases man. There's some things that please God don't please man. That all is a result of His grace. Now, Paul said, grace, mercy, and peace be unto you and, and, and to uh, Timothy and Titus. Now, he did write in, again, Hebrews 4.12, you come boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and then find grace to help in time of need. Uh, the, the, uh, in that situation, then I am, uh, I am praying for mercy. One last thing, going back to Hebrews 4 and 12. Uh, the translation there, in my opinion, is somewhat unfortunate because uh, the word help there in the Greek is not a verb to help. It's a noun. So I'm not not going to the throne of grace to get grace to help me do anything. I'm going to the throne of grace to get grace to, to obtain, find grace, something that's found by seeking. Pursuing. And so I am pursuing grace so that grace will do the work through me. That's what that verse is actually talking about. And that harmonizes with every other verse on grace in the entire Bible. When it says we're saved by work, grace and not by works, it doesn't mean I'm saved, I don't have to do anything to be saved. It means that the things that God expects me to do that pleases Him, I cannot do myself. I need God's grace doing those th- things through me. And if those things are not done, can the disobedient be saved? Can the unbeliever be saved? If I believe the old word of God, I'm going to obey the word of God. But if I obey something by my effort or appear to obey it by my effort that God does not take pleasure in that because I gave Cain's offering of the fruit of the ground that I worked and raised whereas what God is wanting is Abel's offering Abel tended sheep God caused them to grow Abel brought an offering that God produced through his stewardship That's what God's looking for here. So, grace. There's much, much, much more you can teach about grace in this context. But I have taught that. I have studied that. I pray for that. Not that I've exhausted the subject. So when I'm praying, I got this stuff in my mind. So when I'm praying grace and I'm receiving grace, I I have some degree of understanding what I mean when I say, without you, I can do nothing. And I need your grace. I receive your grace today. Grace, mercy, and peace be upon you from the Father, even our, and our Lord Jesus Christ. It's what Paul, it was a, it was an impartation. It was an apostolic impartation from Paul and Peter and the others. Even the book of Revelation starts with something similar to that. And the last words, of the Apostle Peter to record in the Bible. Second Peter 3.18 says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Peter actually used the words this way, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. So it's not a stagnant amount. Well, God is, God doesn't, grace doesn't multiply. No, but the effect of grace and peace in my life is multiplied. And I, I don't want today's grace. I want yesterday's grace. I want today's grace. I want what God wants to do in and by, to and for and through me today. And so I'm confessing that. 
And the Bible says that his mercy is new every morning. So I pray this, the beginning of my day. I receive your mercy today, Father. And if I have specific things that I know that I did do that displeased God or didn't do that displeased God, uh, then I'll confess those. Uh, otherwise, because David prayed, uh, Lord, you know, search, uh, search my heart, <laughs> try my thoughts, see if there be any wicked way in me, lead me in a way everlasting, uh, you know, forgive me of my secret sins. And, and this mercy, Lord, and I don't know my own heart. Your word says I don't know my own heart. So I'm asking you right now, any, anything that I have done that's displeased you or not done that's, that's, uh, displease you because I didn't do it, that I'm not consciously acknowledging or aware of. I'm asking for your mercy today. Forgive me. And those two are both very, very important, and they lead to this one. You cannot. (laughs) I can't yell this loud enough, can't say this strong enough. I have no ability to say this clear enough. Enough. You cannot participate in kingdom praying, in spiritual warfare, without peace without opening yourself up to harm and danger many people don't pray because they don't have peace and they're not ready to have peace many people don't pray because they don't understand that they don't have peace but they inherently know they can't participate in spiritual warfare because they don't have peace well we're going to talk about a little bit why that's the case peace Peace, what is peace? You know. Isaiah 9 and 6 described the son that was coming as the Prince of Peace. Jesus summed up his entire earthly ministry. His entire earthly ministry, he summed up in the presence of the apostles. In the last verse of John 16, John 16, 33. When after that verse, he prays the Lord's Prayer. It's his prayer. And then he goes out into the garden, prays alone, and then is taken captive and crucified. So verse John 16, 33 sums up everything that he had taught his apostles, disciples. He said, these things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall King James shall have tribulation. Greek word there is thalipsis and it literally means pressure. Situations that cause pressure. In the world you shall have pressure. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Now (laughs) I'm going to make a statement that most people don't believe when I make it. And I'm sorry that's the case. Uh, The Lord knows it's true. But since the first Friday night of August of 2003, I have not lived one day with pressure. The world gives pressure. The Lord gives peace. And the only reason I have pressure is I'm internalizing situations that I'm supposed to be casting on the Lord. It's the only reason I've got pressure. The Bible says, 1 Peter 3.11, seek peace and pursue it. Peter said, seek peace and pursue it. And so in this third positioning prayer, I understand how important peace is to my daily life. But Romans 16, 20 says, and the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. So peace, the the God of peace, is going to bruise Satan. And Philippians 4 says that the the peace of God which surpasses and is superior to all understanding shall keep 
guard, preserve my heart and mind. And he said, Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. And he said, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in me. Peace. Peace. Now, the armor of God, peace is included. That we should put on our feet preparation of the gospel of peace. Why is that important? Because to a soldier, soldiers have always fought over unprepared ground. Terrain has always been an element in every battle ever fought by man. Well, to the soldier on foot, the only protection he has between him and the ground is his boots. They don't wear fancy shoes. They wear sturdy boots, rugged boots, boots to protect the feet, top, bottom, sides, you name it. They insulate the feet. Why? Because Paul said in Ephesians 6, the goal is to stand, and when the battle's over with, to be the one still standing. And trust me, you can't stand without protected feet. Plus, to the soldier in that type of battle, where you were using hand-to-hand weapons, yeah, there were a few archers, and there were a few, they it came up with all the instruments that the, the what I forget what you call them, but the, the big instruments that threw balls of fire, rocks or whatever. Yeah. But the battle was fought and lost or fought and won by hand-to-hand combat. An army was simply a large numbers of individuals fighting hand-to-hand combat. That is the typology that the Lord chose to use to explain what the church is doing in the earth today. Yeah, we're a church. We're supposed to fight together. But each individual's got to fight. Because it's hand-to-hand combat for each one of us. We may be standing fight side by side or in, a, in, 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 in the midst of a real frenzied battle. You want a friend that's got your back. What it means got your back is his back is to your back. So nobody can sneak up on you and you got his back so nobody can sneak up on him. And so therefore, if they, if somebody can't get, come to your back, they gotta face your weapons which are gonna operate in front of you. And, but even though you may have a friend that's got your back, you die if you don't fight. You can't stand there with your sword down, your shield flopped down where the tip's touching the ground and expect to live. What you're trying to do is commit suicide when you do that. That's exactly what's about to happen. Because you're not fighting. You're about to die. Now, how do you stand? Well, you got to have good, good shoes on. And because the power behind a sword doesn't come from how big your shoulders and arms are alone. In any endeavor where you're swinging a hammer or you, or you're swinging a golf club or a baseball bat or any other similar activity, the power starts from the feet up. You have to have good traction, good grip on the ground because you got to be able to push off those feet. You got to be, the whole body works from the solidness of your spiritual foundation. And that foundation is peace. It insulates you so that your feet are protected over the rough terrain of the battle. But all of your power that creates the leverage, that makes that sword strong enough that it splitters the, the, the shield in two or 
penetrates past the, the sword that's there to block you so that you're able to defeat your enemy with your sword. It all starts from the feet up. And what does the Lord put on the feet? Which peace. Peace. Our uh, church building, the uh, sanctuary part of our church building collapsed in the snowstorm of the century in February, February the 18th, 2003. And uh, first couple of months I was really busy and trying to hold the church together and do what it was needed to just work through the, the shock of the catastrophe. And uh, after a few months, everything was done. It could be done. And now I'm just sitting and waiting and we're, we're having church and God's blessing actually. But I was very depressed. I had uh, designed that building. I'd overseen the construction of it. Uh, I, I was co-signed on the loan uh, that was a, the bank required my wife and I to co-sign so we could get the loan uh, to build the building. And uh, there it is. It's on the ground. And, uh, the rest of the building was standing. It was so damaged that uh, we couldn't use it either. Uh, it was months before all, everything could, was, could be torn out of that and it could be renovated. So we're out and whatever, and I, I'm just really discouraged. And so I had commit, committed to do a manifest meeting in Attleboro, Massachusetts for uh, the Mass Rhode Island District and any of the other districts in New England wanted to come. Any people wanted to participate. And uh, Brother Franklin Howard and Brother David Shatwell were participating with me in that manifest meeting the first weekend of, first week of August, Wednesday Thursday, Friday night, Thursday, Thursday, Friday. And uh, I had made up my mind. I didn't feel like preaching. I didn't feel like ministering. I'd given my word. So I'm going to the meeting to participate because I gave my word. But I didn't feel like doing anything. And I made my mind up. I was going to tell Brother Howard and Brother Shetwell that I was not ministering. I didn't feel like it. And so I went Went to the meeting. I got there ahead of them, and uh, they were traveling much farther distance than I. And I picked them up at the airport when their flight got in, and it was in the middle of, that, middle of the afternoon, and we went to get something to eat, get ready for church that night, so we could go home, get ready for church that night. And we're sitting at the table, and I'm ready to make my pronouncement. I said, I need to tell you guys something. Brother Chet will say, wait, wait, wait. Before you say anything, we have something we need to say to you. I said, well, I got something to say. No, no. I want you to wait. Okay. So I said, okay. He said, uh, we know you're hurting. We know you're having a very difficult time, and we're your friends. And we know how God deals with you. And the Lord spoke to us that he, would, that he was going to heal you as he flowed through you. And so, therefore, we're not speaking at all in this meeting. You're going to do all the speaking. And I began to protest. No, 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 no. I'm not speaking at all. You guys are going to do all the speaking. Brother Shetwell says to me, Brother Howard, I've already talked about this. We're your friends. We love you. This is what the Lord told us to do. And if you're not willing to cooperate with us, then we're going to change our tickets and go, go to the airport right now. Get an airplane go home. But we're not disobeying God. You're going to do the speaking. Well, Right, right at that moment, I wasn't happy with my friends. But we go to the meetings, and for three nights and two days, I ministered. And I don't remember how many people were there. I don't, I don't even know if there was anybody there. I know there was had to be somebody. I don't know how good the crowds were. I don't have any idea. All I know is that for three nights and two days, I just listened and repeated. And I taught stuff I didn't like. And I did taught stuff I didn't want to hear. I taught stuff that I didn't understand. I taught stuff that I didn't agree with. But by the finish of the last service, after that Friday night service, when my responsibility for ministry was over, 
after everybody had been prayed for, whatever, I went over to, to the corner of that building and on the end of that platform, I found myself a place to pray and I died. For the first time in my life, I fully, truly died out to Christ. First time ever. I died on occasions enough to get what I want. If you'd have asked me, had a, have you died out to self, I would have told you yes, but that's only because I didn't understand what it really was. But in that situation, I understood that dying was the only source the only way to have peace. Because peace is based on absolute trust in the Father. And peace is based on giving all of it up to the Father. Giving it all up to the Father. And that, that's what he, he said to me. He said to me, I needed to give it all up. I'm going to read to you First Peter chapter 5, beginning with verse 5. He says, likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, and all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud. And we, all of us believers say, yeah, yeah, that's it. God resists the proud. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Do you find out who God's talking about here? God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. And then the next verse says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, colon. And I've said it many times, but the grammatical rule of a colon is whatever follows the colon expounds on or explains what precedes the colon. So what precedes the colon? How do I humble myself under the mighty hand of God? By casting all my care. Not cares, all my care. Upon him, for he careth. Not carry it. He's not going to carry it for me. He's going to care. He's going to do the caring of that thing, for that thing, for me, in my place, if I release it to him. Now, now, the same Greek word that's translated resist in verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. Verse 9, whom resists steadfast in the faith. Be steadfast in the faith and resist the devil. That same Greek word is translated by the same English word in verse 5 when it says God resists the proud. And the proud are those who will not release their cares to God. Therefore, they have pressure. Therefore, they have pressure. If you have pressure, you have no peace. If you have peace, you have no pressure. Paul said in Philippians 4, be careful, King James, be careful for nothing. Don't be anxious over anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Make your request be made known unto God. Let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses, passeth all understanding, shall keep, guard, preserve your hearts and minds. Well, there's my request. I'm asking. I'm asking. Yes, I'm asking. I'm asking you to take this because I cast it. I'm asking you to take this because I cast it. I'm asking you to take this. I asked the Lord, well, what am I supposed to cast? He said, cast your cares. I said, what? He said, whatever you care about. If you don't care about it, you don't have to cast it. Because what I don't care about, I'm not trying to control. I'm not trying to influence it. I'm not asking him to control it. Whatever I care about. Whatever I don't care about. But if I care about it, if it matters to me, I got to cast it or I can't have peace. So go back to John 16, it says, if I, I've, these things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. The trouble, the pressure, 
It's external. From It's a result of external circumstances. That you've got to decide whether you're going to internalize or keep external because you cast it on God. That's a certainty. Even those that claim they don't believe in the word of God at all, that verse has come to pass in their lives. Nobody's ever lived that hasn't had trouble. Pressure. But, he didn't say, in me you shall have peace. He said, in me you might have peace. Why? Because having peace is my decision, not his. Because the only way to have peace is to cast which is a decision of my will. I've got to let it go. Everything. Everything. And so, in positioning prayer, I prayed for grace. I prayed for uh, mercy. Now, because God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble, I confess it again, Father, I receive your grace to empower me to enable me to fully trust you and to completely and to humble myself before you by casting and releasing, completely letting go of everything that matters to me. Everything that matters. Everything that matters, Father, I give it to you. I cast it on you. I trust you. Well, I just don't believe that. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you don't believe it. One day, hopefully you will. Because you're never going to have peace otherwise. Because, oh, I have peace. Yeah, yeah, you have the peace like Jesus talked about the world gives. As long as there's no trouble or pressure, you got peace. As soon as trouble and pressure comes along, you don't have any peace. Jesus' peace is independent of your outward circumstances. The world's peace is totally dependent upon your outward circumstances. The world has peace when there's no trouble, when there's no pressure. But the people of God only have peace regardless of the circumstances going on. People of God only have peace when they are casting their cares upon Him. It's called trust. Trust is not an innocuous thing. Trust means I am completely Committing myself to him. It's like sitting down in a chair. That chair's going to hold me up or I'm falling on the ground. Because I can't defend myself against this chair collapsing. I'm trusting this chair. So it is with God, our Father. You can't have peace. You're not going to trust the Father. You can't have peace. The God of peace will bruise Satan under your feet. The gospel, the good news of peace will shod your feet to protect you from the bumps and bruises and stones and roots of this world. But they'll also give you the leverage to have power with your faith. Peace gives power with your faith. Now, how does all this fit with the armor of God? I've gone a little longer than I intended, but just want to touch on this. Those three things I prayed about, four actually, the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the peace of God, they're all actually very much uh, expressions of what we call the armor of God. The, the uh, helmet of salvation, First uh, Thessalonians 5 and 8 calls it the, uh, take for a helmet, the hope of salvation. The word hope in the Greek, is confident expectation. It's beyond faith. Faith is substance things hoped for, evidence things not seen. But hope is an absolute assurance and confidence that what you're believing for is going to happen. It's greater than faith. Hope is actually great faith, in my opinion. Okay? So, my trust in God, the, the peace of God that keeps my heart and mind, all of this is my helmet of salvation. My breastplate of righteousness. First Thessalonians 5 and 7 or 8 says, take for a breastplate faith and love. So you can't separate God's faith, God's love and faith in God 
from righteousness. Abraham believed God and it was accounted or accredited to him as righteousness. So the faith and love of God, that love of God that I receive and my faith in him, we have known and believed the love of that love that that, uh, that God has toward us. First John four uh, six four sixteen. All of that has to do with this righteousness, this breastplate of righteousness, and of course, truth is uh, not a girdle in the sense of the word we use the word girdle, but it was a a, a weapons belt that it, it provided some protection around the loins, but it also was the device that carried the other weapons. The sword, you could even hook the shield on it, but other weapons, if they had other weapons, could be uh, attached to this belt. That's truth. Peace is, peace protects my foundation in life and it gives me leverage for, for, uh, uh, the word of God to work through me. Righteousness, God's innocence that I receive because of his love through faith in him and obedience in his word. And the Bible says, Isaiah, I believe it's 32, 17, the work of righteousness is peace. So this breastplate of righteousness means I'm going to have peace or assurance that I'm protected in my vital organs. And then, of course, the hope of salvation is based upon peace, too. And all of this is possible because the grace of God works in our lives. So when I'm praying these three things, some days, there are days I specifically pray and receive righteousness. Uh, I say, I will pray that because it's the innocence of the Lord. And I, uh, Romans 5.19 says that righteousness is a gift. We don't, we're not right because we do right. We are righteous because it is a gift of righteousness from the Lord. Uh, he who knew no sin became sin for us, First Second Corinthians 5.21. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So it's His righteousness. Uh, I forget it's Isaiah, but uh, no weapon that is formed against us will prosper. Every mouth that's opened against us in judgment we will condemn because this is the heritage of the servant of the Lord and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. So the, the, the protection, all this is intertwined. Faith, uh, righteousness, peace, and joy, which is the, the, the kingdom of God at work in me, taking dominion in me as I allow it. Uh, grace, mercy, and peace, preparing me for participation in the kingdom of God. All of these things are very, very critical. Now, I expect, uh, as the Lord allows and leads, I will be going into what it really means to pray kingdom praying. How do we become conduits of and instruments of God's kingdom in the earth? How do we let the one who's sitting on the throne of the universe exercise his power and authority in the earth through us? How do we do that? We do that through kingdom praying. God bless you in Jesus' name.